Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. Now we believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church becomes unified in a region and they begin to collaborate around five key initiatives that we see the, the Apostle Paul working out in Acts 13 and 14. And those five are citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city in tangible kingdom expressions, and then starting new churches and new kingdom initiatives. Now, in this podcast, we're going to especially focus on starting new churches, and more specifically, in some of the harder places to reach in the world. I'm so privileged to have a good friend of mine who I've gotten to know over the years, who now is really a partner with Soma and Saturate, um, along with his organization, which is called To Every Tribe. So Steve Leston is with us. And Steve is, uh, he'll never say this, but I think he may be one of the smartest guys I know in terms of like a close friend. He will never present himself that way, but when you listen to him, you realize God's gifted him with a brilliant mind and ability to assimilate great thoughts in very practical ways. And so Steve, I'm just honored to be your friend and blessed to have you here. I think people are gonna really be blessed to hear from you. So welcome to my podcast. Welcome to uh, the the work of Saturate, which is not new to you at all, but you've never been on this podcast before. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, the work you're doing with To Every Tribe? Thanks, Jeff. Man, first of all, it's an honor for me to be here. And, you know, and yeah, not that this is a podcast for our friendship, but thank you. And your friendship has meant a lot to me as well. And I've learned so much from you and grown so much just being around the Soma family and it's amazing. So it's a, it's a joy, joy to be here. And, and, uh, I serve as the president of To Every Tribe, as you said, and we're a mission agency that focuses on putting together teams to plant churches in the complex, unreached, underdeveloped, underreached parts of the world. So, uh, uh, one part of our name that's kind of important to us is the word every uh, because what we're trying to say is there are places in the world people don't even know exist that are that work isn't going on, church planning's not going on, and there are complicated areas to get to either for political reasons or geographical reasons or or just worldview reasons. They're just super complex worldviews. And our heart is to put teams together, train them to go in those areas, show them how to do it, and then send them to go do it. And uh, and and we believe that and the, the mission of Christ is that every tribe and tongue is going to come before him. And so there are bigger agencies doing work in like bigger areas, but we're kind of that smaller stealthy agency finding those little areas where if I told you about them, you didn't even, you would, wouldn't even seen them on a map. And that that's where we like to focus on because we want to see churches, Christ worshiped everywhere. And that's, yeah. that's our, yeah, I love that. We were, before we started, Steve and I were talking a little bit about Japan and just the, the challenge that that place is in terms of really reaching um, people with the gospel. And we won't get into that in this episode, but, but what I appreciated as we were talking is the, the way that I know you go into a context is that you take very seriously that story, the culture, the potential barriers, the, 
the servant posture we need to take, that we aren't the saviors, we aren't the Messiah, I mean, all that stuff. And so your process has been really, really impactful as you shared it with us, in fact, you know, within the Soma family. Uh, we, we try to have Steve in every area of, our, of the regions that we work in and just have him lay out what I'm going to ask him to share with you, which is this, uh, he, they call it the eight phases. Is that right? Eight phases? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Steve, I would love for you just to take some time to to share a little bit of what does that look like when you guys are taking a planting team and you're trying to prepare them to go to a very hard place, what are the things that you're training them to do when when they arrive and all the way through the whole process? Mm-hmm. And as, as you listen to what Steve is going to share, I want you to think about your context. You know, he's going to talk about how they do this in all kinds of places that are really challenging, but they're still very transferable in terms of the principles that you could apply wherever you're at. So Steve, tell us more about how you guys approach that and what that looks like. Yeah. The big overview point, just to kind of begin with, to set the the table for this is when you think about church planting, you, you know, the essence of where we go is are places where people don't like us, or they don't want us. And so a lot of the church planting strategies actually have a kind of built into them this assumption that you're just going to be able to invite people over, share the gospel, they'll get saved, churches will get started, kind of assuming a neutral platform, you, you know, or maybe a platform where we need some level of apologetics. Like they might have a question, who is Jesus or is he really God or, or whatever, some kind of some kind of academic theological question. And as long as we're trained to answer that question, things will go well. But how do you actually plant a church where there are no believers that you can pull from, so you can't really get a core group, where the worldview is completely different from your worldview? It might be, for example, uh, some context in the world. You, you can read this in different missionary books, uh, places where like revenge is considered the highest form of success. If you can, and, 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 or the idea of betrayal. There are some cultures where betray, if you betray a leader, you are considered the greatest person in the community. So how do you begin in that context where somebody has an opposite worldview, they don't want you there, and uh, and you don't have a base of believers that you can launch with or at least meet within a community to say, hey, why don't you come on in? We'll just kind of start this study with a handful of Christians we met at the YMCA or something like that. So with that as a backdrop, you say, well, how do you do church planting that way? Well, what the question that question has driven us to answer it by saying, you have to do what what I like to term progressive entrance. I'm not coming in to start a church. You know, we're we're going in to plant one, not start one. And by planting one, it means that we're going to have to go in first and foremost with the idea that we need a reason to be there. So one of our eight phases is what we call arrival. It's the first one. You have to have a reason for being there that's bigger than planting a church. And that's the idea of arrival. Hmm. Can I go to this community to add value to this community, to do something that that helps the community? In one context, and I'm going to be somewhat vague on a lot of these details because of this being on the internet, but in one context, there was one community where the need of that community was for um, the language that they taught, they, they taught orally. It wasn't a written language. They needed it taught to the, the elders needed to teach it to the young kids and the young kids had gotten smartphones and they didn't want to listen to the elders. And, and so we helped that community develop an app where we recorded the elders and then the elders were able to speak the language 
the kids were able now through their phones to hear the elders teaching them the language. So that was our reason for being there. We have a reason to say, this is a problem that you feel. This is a problem that's important to you. Can we help you solve that problem? And somebody then in the community might say, well, why would you want to solve that problem for us? Why do you want to move here and solve that problem? And then we're real bold and we say, because we're missionaries and we love Jesus and Jesus loves you. And Jesus created this culture. Jesus created you. And therefore, we want to go and help you because we believe you're a beautiful person and you're creating the image of God. And so we want to start there to say, this is why we're here. We want to add value to your life. And so the first step in the way we do church planting is to say, we need a reason other than church planting to enter this space. And we won't enter it until we have that reason. It's just that critical. And we want to be invited in for that. We want to be able to offer something to the leadership of the community that says, hey, we want you here. You add value to our space. Mm. Because we want to live in your space. We want your problems to become our problems. We want to live under the conditions that you're living in so that we can come and, and, and serve you and show you that the love of Christ is that we'll, we're willing to lay down our life for you. Because that's what love really is. Love isn't taking, love is giving. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is model that by solving a problem that the community feels is there. Not the problem we see, because that's the big gap part there, Jeff, right? You could, I can yeah. look in and evaluate a community and say they need help with this or that. It's not what I perceive as the problem. It's what right. they perceive as the problem. And then can I add value? And so that's you know, the first step in that. As you share that, I was thinking about um, one of our leaders in Japan. Um, you know, if you know much about Japan, it's they take what already exists and they make it better. Um, <laughs> and But the challenge they started to realize is they don't have a lot of entrepreneurialism or they're coming up with something brand new that didn't already exist. And so one of the leaders that's part of the one of the churches that's in the Soma family in Tokyo, he moved over because he was here in Washington and Seattle helping uh, people become entrepreneurs through the University of Washington, was teaching on training, helping people figure out how to start their own things and built this relationship because he is also Japanese with uh, people in Japan. And they finally said, what would really serve us is if you would come here and begin to teach in our schools and help us develop entrepreneurialism for the Japanese context. Mm-hmm. And so he's been there for several years doing that as a way of bringing good. And that's a form of arrival. Like he, yeah. lots of doors open because of that. Lots of favor mm-hmm. was given because of that. And it, that's the way he showed up in a way that was good news to them. Yeah. Yeah. As a Christian, we should be adding value because there is a, what I would call like an earth stewardship. And I don't just mean like protecting trees. I'm saying that we're, we're here to, to steward this planet. We're here to add value. We're here to take what the Lord has given to us and make it better. And the way that we can bless others is by working and serving. And you go to Japan and you teach entrepreneurship, man, this is how you can bless others. This is how you can make their people's lives better and also teach people the character of God because God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Yep. That's right. And and so it's, it's a powerful way. Yeah. So arrival is the first phase. Arrival is the first phase. Now in arrival, you're moving into uh, the second phase at the same time, which we call trust, which is we're trying to measure, is there trust that's forming through this? 
because we don't we're not using a rival as a trick. It's not a bait and switch. You know, you you go in, you develop an app. Now everybody come and listen. You know, we're now going to have a gospel presentation. We're going to share the gospel first of all. That's that's our intention. But what we're what we're measuring next is what are the barriers to trust to getting you to trust me that I w- that I'm willing to take the time to break down that I'm willing to take the time to act in a manner and and do things that will show you that I'm not the threat you might perceive me to be hmm. and am I willing to be patient enough and to love you enough to just allow trust to build because when trust builds you're able to do something uh, more than just see conversion because the, right, we know that the mission is discipleship. And so we're aiming at something deeper than just whether or not we can get somebody converted in a community. Mm-hmm. What we're interested in is actually seeing that person be sent on mission. And so when we go somewhere, we see people not as projects, but as future mission partners. And so in order to to get a vision to say, this community that doesn't know God, we're praying will send more missionaries than my community that I grew up in. So that's always my prayer. You know, let us send more people out of this community than, than was sent out of my community. Therefore, I need to build trust because that trust is going to carry me on not only in sharing Christ, but in nurturing and discipling and all the things that need to happen down the road. And so what we're looking for is a measurement of trust. And you say, how do you know when you get trust? Um, that moves us into the third one, actually, which is spiritual conversations. People will open up about how they view the world when they trust you. Mm-hmm. And so what we're interested in is just seeing that, that over time, we begin to start having meaningful conversations. Maybe someone in their family dies and they actually open up to you how they feel about that or what they think about that. Or maybe they invite you to the funeral, or maybe they invite you to whatever ceremony is part of that. And you realize, wow, enough trust is coming that you're inviting me into this space of yours. And and in that space, you're beginning to show me your worldview, your life. The walls are starting to come down. And that's what spiritual conversations are to us then, is to say, how do we see those walls break down? Because when we see those walls break down, we also begin to understand, and we can actually start to witness what they believe about God, eternity, the spiritual world, uh, how the world works, creation. And, um, and as that, that door opens, we can actually engage that. And we want to engage that for a very important reason. I need to know what you believe about the world so that when I share the gospel, I don't inadvertently bring syncretism. Hmm. Because a lot of false teaching smells like Christianity. Right. There's a there's a lot of things within there. For example, in some many religions of the world that I've come across, there's a belief that God created the world. And so you could say God created the world, and somebody say, Yeah, I agree with that. But we mean something totally different. So I don't want to just assume you've just adopted a Christian worldview because you said God, you know. So the spiritual conversation allows me to understand your spiritual world. So when I present Christ, he's distinctive. Hmm. He's distinctive from your worldview rather than absorbed within your worldview. And so we have many conversations. And I can recall one story where I'm having a conversation with a guy and and he it was animistic. So he believed that when he dies, his spirit is going to go into this tree, this pole that's in front of his house. 
And so he's telling me about this, that, you know, his spirit's going to go in there and his grandfather and great-grandfather and all these people are there in the poll. And, and I just, he's sharing this and I'm listening. And I said, so like, then what will you do for all eternity? He's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm like literally curious. You're in that poll. Like, what is your father doing in that poll right now? He's like, I don't know. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, like, do you think he's talking to your grandfather that's in the poll? He's like, I don't know. And I said, does that seem hopeful to you that you're going to live like 80 years on this earth and then you're going to spend 10,000 in the poll? I said, We're, tell me, like, what's hopeful for you about that? Like, what's important to you about that? And he's like, well, it's not hopeful at all. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, it's not hopeful to me either. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, that doesn't sound like good news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like 80 years here and then a 10,000 years in that poll. And so uh, now I gave him time to think about that. And, and, and we didn't necessarily kind of drive that train home hard because this was the first time he opened up about the poll. And I didn't want to look like I was going to just smash him. And of course, in that context, people think before they speak. And so he's processing that question. Is this hopeful? And, uh, and over time, because of the trust we had and the time we had, eventually he, he came back and, and we discussed the fact that, you know, he said, well, what, what's hopeful to you? And, and then I said, well, you know, it's interesting because in Christianity, uh, wood is important to us too, but it's not what goes inside the wood, but it's what went on the outside. Somebody hung on a tree rather than a spirit going in it. Somebody hung on it. And there's something different there. And so I began to use this tree to explain to him about Christ hanging on the tree. And so mm. through that, that spiritual conversation, it, it opened the door to a gospel conversation. But I was able to start where he was at, which is a spirit being in a tree. Yeah. And now I can talk to him about God hanging on a tree. And, and we, can, we can move differently into a different perspective. But now Christ is distinctive because he didn't go in it. He hung on it. Yeah, yeah. And uh and so that that was the distinction for him. I want to pause there a sec cuz I, w- I want to just to take that to, to some of our everyday lives. You know, I live in a place where increasingly it's becoming the kind of context you're describing where people are not happy Christians are here, right? It's not we're not very popular necessarily in the greater Seattle yeah. area. And um it you know, I've got some friends right now. It's been a, a journey of three years and they're leaning in and we're having lots of great spiritual conversations about Jesus. In fact, we meet every Sunday morning now in our home around brunch and it's been great. Like a little, I think a future church is being birthed here. But what I've learned and it's part of what you said is like, I had to learn how to just let them share what they think or believe and let that stay there for a bit. Maybe ask a question about it, get them to ponder it. But the tendency of most Christians is, no, I've got to correct them and tell them they're wrong, and I've got to tell them what to believe, and I'm going to do it all in the manner of like a 20-minute conversation where I don't know if I've got the trust built to even have the conversation, let alone the understanding of their worldview to understand why they came up with what they believe. And so what I love about what you guys are doing, which I think we need to take back home to where we're at here, even in the Western context, is to say, what would it look like if we would slow down, build the trust, become curious, not make it our job to correct every single thing that everybody says that's wrong, but rather be with them long enough that they might be even curious about what we believe. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. What you, that's what you're doing there. It's great. So absolutely. Because you want Christ to be distinct. I'm yes. not, I'm really, you know, some have accused me of saying, hey, you're, you're, 
you're watering down the gospel. And I'm like, no, no, this is the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm, I'm wanting the contrast to be strong. And so I want you to feel the discomfort of the thought that you're going to spend 10,000 years in this tree and you don't even know what you're going to do. Yeah. Just think about that overnight. Yeah, you gave them his, you gave him his worldview back and asked him to ask questions about it. Yeah. And now we can talk about something different. Yeah. And now we can say, well, let's talk about what is hopeful. What's the real hope? Uh, The real hope is that I don't go into a tree, but that Jesus hung on a tree for me. Yeah. And, and so why did he hang on the tree? And we can talk about that and we can, but now there's a distinction and that's really, I think the key that to that whole piece is, and what you're talking about, even with your friends is it's not a lack of courage to share Christ, which some accuse that it's the creation of a distinction. And that's what I want to say. I want Christ to be separate. I want him to be so distinct that it actually is hopeful. Your worldview leads you in a place that just really seems discouraging. But, but yet in Christ, he did something. He accomplished something. And, and if I can find that point of contact, in this case, comparing a totem pole to the cross, but the cross isn't a totem pole. Right. It's something distinctly different. And, uh, and, and if we could slow down, we can create more distinction. Yes. So if we good. go so fast, the distinctions go away and it leads to syncretism. And, and I'll just make this little soapbox for two seconds here, Jeff, and then you can decide if you want to launch off it. But we see that even happening in our current culture where you've got celebrity pastors that want to be hip and cool. And, hey, man, I'm just like this rock star. I'm just, and like, we don't have distinction anymore. Like, we think we're being relevant by bringing this in, but we're not distinctly Christian, right? It's not distinctly Christian. And allowing that worldview to rise up and feel the worthlessness of the culture. And then I can bring the hope of Christ. Instead, I'm, you know, some ways we mix Christ and we do it in our culture. We mix Christ into that culture. Yeah. We're and, doing it and, in our politics as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so absolutely. it's like we, we have become synchronous ourselves, which I think is why some of us have a very hard time doing what you're describing, because if we aren't absolutely confident that what we believe and what we stand in is so distinctly different than the culture we're immersed in, then we basically fight culture wars. And we, and then every time we have an argument, it's about a particular aspect of our cultural conviction. And it's not distinctly about Jesus anymore. No, he's lost. And so, yeah, we're lost. Anyway, we could, you and I could go an hour just on that topic. I know we've done it before. So let's keep going. So we got three, arrival trust that leads to spiritual conversations. Right. And then as those spiritual conversations unfold, the distinctions start to emerge and you begin to start making your gospel conversations. Now what I'm doing is I'm going to try to show Christ as a, as distinct from where your beliefs are and Mm -hmm. as different and accomplishing something you're aiming at something you're aiming for eternal life. Right. I want to live forever in this totem pole and they have a process when this guy dies of getting him into the pole. Mm-hmm. So what's he aiming at? He's aiming at eternal life. He's not going to get eternal life. And even and even if somehow, I don't believe this to be true, even if he could go live in that thing for 10,000 years, what a horrible existence that would be. Yeah. And so, and so the reality is to say, spiritual conversations set the contrast for me then to bring Christ. And now I'm bringing Christ as a contrast. 
or mm-hmm. as a distinction. Maybe I don't want to say contrast in an, in an aggressive sort of way because I'm not trying to beat you up. Right. But, but the way that I know the doors opening is when they come and they say, well, what is hope? Or they ask some existential question and I can say, well, let me tell you what I believe and let me tell you about Christ and let me explain this to you here. Now it becomes a distinction and it becomes something different where he can see what he wanted in his religion wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. But what is actually here, the longing of his heart is resolved in Jesus. And we can talk about a new heaven. And with him, I talked about a new heaven and a new earth and, and that you're still living on this earth, but now you're living in this place where heaven and earth are one space and they're all united. And and you're still going to be living in a home and you're going to be on Mm. one hand before the throne of God. And then the other hand, going out and eating a banana. There's just going to be so many things that are going to be so amazing. You're not sequestered and trapped in the dungeon of a totem pole. You are in a new. And so now we can talk about something that is, life eternal and we can present mm-hmm. life to him. So that's our gospel conversation that's birthed out of the spiritual conversation. So spiritual conversations isn't just wasting time to where I can share a message that I learned in a book. Gospel conversations are birthed out of spiritual conversations. Mm-hmm. That's the idea behind it. We want to birth them out. That's so good. Cause like even a lot of us were trained to like the first conversation you have is the gospel. And you're like, wait a minute. Like that's, that seems like, like the first date we're getting married, you know, (laughs) like can we just slow this down a little bit and actually get into a conversation and, uh, which will lead to the gospel. You can say, Hey, look, Jeff, that table has four legs. Have you heard the four spiritual laws? (laughs) We're just so quick to do it. I mean, Again, I, I I trust people's heart that do it. They want people to desperately know Jesus. Yeah. Amen. But it it lacks in some ways uh, an understanding that it takes time to understand a story and a culture and create the context of trust where, where wherein we can say something that's pretty profound. And and for a guy to leave what he's known a whole his his entire life an ancestral, like mm-hmm. generational belief. Yeah. It's going to take more than a five second or 15 minute or 10 minute conversation. Right. It's going to take something more significant than that. So, and that, and I appreciate you saying that, Jeff, because the idea behind that, what you just said is it's a more, it's a, he's embracing the fullness of Christ in that, but he's also, we're also setting the table for discipleship. That's right. Because, because we're, what, what I'm doing is I'm not just changing your redress from P.O. Box hell to P.O. Box heaven. I'm, yeah. I'm actually inviting you into a life in Christ where we're going to walk together as brothers. And, and so I'm interested in knowing what you believe beforehand so that when I, we are in a discipleship relationship, I can help you work this stuff out. And so, so birthing the gospel conversation out of your spiritual conversations allows you to move to our next step, our fifth step, which is nurturing. We, actually, we don't call it steps. We call it phases. Okay. And the reason why we, we call it phases is because a phase if, if you talk about like a building, phase one is the foundation. You're not mm-hmm. going to frame it until the foundation's done. And so we call it a phase because it's recognizing works being done that assuming another work is going to be built upon it. So it's not a checklist. You're always building upon the previous phase. We're laying the foundation to build a frame. We're building a frame to put a roof. We're building a roof to put to paint the walls. We're painting the walls to put furniture in. We're putting furniture in because we want you to live there, right? So all of these phases are all building. And it's the same idea that I'm arriving to build trust. 
because I want to build upon that spiritual conversations, which would then take me to the next phase of gospel, which then takes me to the next one of nurturing. This is what we call discipleship, but we use the word nurturing because we're gathering the idea of Paul with the with the church in Thessalonica where, hey, I was there as like a mother, like a nursing mother. Like, like we're recognizing you're in a different worldview, man. You, you're embracing Christ. This is going to be a huge journey for you. And so we want to offer a space of patience and kindness and grace to allow you the time to work out this worldview shift because your whole world's changing. And we're not putting a demand upon you to suddenly just be holy right away. There might be areas where it's going to take you time to work out things. And, and that growth is going to take, take, take time for you. And so we call it nurturing just to put in the idea of the church planner. You're nurturing this thing along. It's, it, you know, we celebrate if a baby takes two steps and falls down. We don't say, you, you, you fell? You, you know, we clap. We videotape it. We, you know, we're recognizing it's going to take a long time for that to come out. And so we want to nurture you, which then comes to number six, the sixth phase, which is helping. Because we recognize now that your life is probably going to get more complicated now that you're in Christ. Now, this is going to take us all the way back to arrival and trust, because there are times when you have to advocate for believers in the community as the church planner. It might be in that community that their families rejected them. It might be that a father comes and says, this is wrong. And you, and it's at that moment we want to call back and, and, and actually protect them and say, listen, I came here. Did I hurt you? Did I destroy this community? Did I destroy the fiber of the families? Are the families weaker or stronger because of our presence? Like we had one of our teams built a playground in this one area to, for the families. And they built it in an area where there weren't, was poor cell phone coverage so that the parents couldn't just sit there and look at their phones with their kids. Like they had to play with their kids. And so when sometimes the accusation comes, hey, you're destroying the nature of our families, we could say, did we? Do you think that this person being a Christian now, what you know about me is going to hurt your family or do you think it's going to make it stronger? So we want to help. And this is why we want to take the time with building trust. So it all connects yep. as we're nurturing that new believer. I hope that made sense. Was that confusing? No, no, not at all. And I, I think to put some skin on it, um, you know, once someone comes to follow Jesus and you start to nurture them in their faith, and by the way, when I think of discipleship, I often will describe it as spiritual parenting because I want them yes. to get that context of like, this is a little baby and how are we going to raise somebody up? And so there's lots of grace and lots of care and attention. And then getting to helping is like, there it's going to be real loss or suffering or adjustment or challenge or persecution. So how do we come around that yep. to really help them keep taking steps forward in their faith and also let the outsider look in and go, okay, so this isn't just somebody coming to believe what you believe. It's This is like a family that helps them become everything they were meant to become. Yeah, exactly. We be, Yeah, that's, exa that's a beautiful way to say that. You are actually emerging into humanity because we've been made in the image of God. Yeah. And, and so to see that come through is, it's a beautiful thing. And, yeah, that's uh, some of the language I use with my friends who are not yet following Jesus. I say like, my hope for you is that you'll just become the human God always designed you to become. Like that's, we believe you're made in this image and 
part of our narrative is that we believe Jesus came to actually save you from anything that would keep you from being everything God intended for you. Exactly. And when they hear that, it's like, wow, that's a different story than I heard. I thought this is just about heaven and hell. It's like, no, no, no. Hell is you not getting to be everything God intended you to be and have the relationship with him he always intended you to have. Yeah. We want you to experience fully what he's always intended you to be and have the greatest relationship you could ever dream of with him and others. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so we can help. And so that's why if we spend that extra time, Mm -hmm. we at least have a voice to be able to communicate that. Now that doesn't mean that, that persecution won't come to a believer or even come to you for that. Right. But I don't, I always say, man, I want to be persecuted for the gospel, not for being dumb. And so, you know, because there's a lot of times people face persecution, but it's just because of their poor actions. Yeah, and, they've and been they're, unloving they're, or unkind. Exactly. Because people respond to you before they respond to what you believe. And, yep. and that's, that's one of our key principles. They're, they're going to respond to you before they respond to what you believe. And so sometimes a person that's a really good principle. Don't miss that. They're going to respond to you before they respond to what you believe. And what a lot of Christians often believe is, well, the reason why they rejected us is because they rejected the message. And it's like, no, no, no. They probably rejected you because you weren't loving. You weren't kind. You weren't present. You didn't build trust. You didn't listen. Like there's a lot of other reasons. Please don't blame the gospel for you not being a loving human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I will always say, to our missionaries before we send them out. I'm not giving you the martyr flag if you're killed because you're an, you're a jerk. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, there's an element of, of all of us respond to people before we respond to their beliefs. Mm, And, and, and so we want to make sure that we have character. This is why so much of the Bible's on character, right? When you're talking about positions of leaders and these kinds of things, the focus is on character because man, the response is to me as a person first. Do I have a good reputation in the community? Uh, am, am I a person that my family will respond well to my character because, because they see that in me because I love them and they know I love them and they know I would walk through glass for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so without of that perspective of love, we can then nurture. And it is true, though, that somebody will reject the gospel and they could persecute you for your faith in Christ. And there are many believers in communities that get killed. But we, but if they're going to get killed, let's make sure they get killed because of 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 a pro- proclamation of Christ, not because they were jerks. Yeah. And so, so that's where the nurturing and the help comes in. And then that kind of leads to the last two, which we can put the last two kind of together, which is discover and affirm. Many cultures in the world don't have the same belief system that we have in the United States which is in the United States, we kind of say, man, you could, anyone could be president. Like we, we, we introduce that notion that you can overcome any obstacle. We like the rags to riches story. We, we like Rocky, right? We like the fact that he was a down and out street fighter who eventually in the second movie becomes the, the grand champion, right? And so we love that story, but most people in the world, they're in a place and that place has been defined for them and they can't leave that, that place. They have their status in the community. The unique thing about Christ is that Christ, that, that, that God before Christ doesn't see those status, those earthly status. There's no slave or free man. There's no man or woman before the cross. It's the reality is that we are his creation. He's gifted us. And all of the natural barriers or natural definitions in some ways don't matter when it comes to serving Christ. Mm-hmm. So because of that, um, 
we have to help people discover their gifts, which is hard for people to do because they think I have a place. I don't have gifts. Mm. And we, what we want to say is there are gifts and there might be your place in this community, but there are gifts you have. And that gift is meant to serve God and serve the church to serve, serve others. So we want to help you, but then we also want to, as the missionaries, affirm that publicly. Use our role to lay hands on people. Hmm. Because we will, we do have a position of status because we've moved there. So we are automatically usually have a higher position hmm. or some position of authority. So with that, what we want to be able to say is, I know you see this person over here who might be down in your caste system, but in Christ, they're up here. And they're going to be your teacher because God's equipped them to teach. Mm. And now we're going to have to learn how to submit to one another. Mm. And we're going to have to learn that. And so the affirmation process is teaching people to submit to one another. Mm. So we're going to discover your gifts and we're going to teach you how to use those gifts as a body. And then we're going to publicly affirm. And in that process of publicly affirming, teaching you to submit to one another in Christ in a way that your community would have never done. And so those are the last two, and it's it's helping to form a body. And mm-hmm. the last two, discover and affirm, is actually where the church gets planted. That's when you start seeing what we might call the formation of that church. Hey, we're going to start functioning together as a body, and we're going to start seeing this come together. We're going to start helping you prepare to, to use your gifts to love others and care for others. And, and so that's really where you start to see that taking shape. I and love so that. that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love, I love that, that the, the, the process and you and I've talked about this plenty of times, like so often in the context that we know people go, I'm going to go plant a church and then we're going to go make disciples. Right. And it's like, no, 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 we're going to go make disciples because we planted the gospel. People came to faith. They were brought up in the faith. They were nurtured. They were helped. They, they were, they discovered who God made them uniquely to be as a gift to the church then that was affirmed. And then we began to form what it looks like to be the church together out of all that work. Yeah. And by that time, you actually have a church. You don't plant a church. You are a church. And yeah. you, what, what you did is you planted yourself in a context. You planted your love and built trust. You planted truth in spiritual conversations by listening a lot, but then talking a little. Then you planted the gospel, which led to their new life. And then you helped them grow up in it, which produce the things we're talking about. And then just, we could just get that order right. And I think in every context, if we got that order right, we would have an entirely different Christian mm-hmm. as an outcome. Because your eight phases are just a process of discipleship. Like once you've done it with them, they can reproduce that with anybody. Yeah, absolutely. That's all it is. It's discipleship. How do you disciple how do you enter a community to start the process? How do you start to talk to people? How do you build trust? How do you? All of it is just the idea that our mission is to make disciples. If we make disciples, I, I'm gonna use, I, I don't like using this word correctly, but but I'm going to use it. There's a better word. If we make disciples, maybe I would say in this way, churches will form. Yeah. So we're not really trying to focus on getting that institution going right away. It's about building people together to start to love each other because this is really what we want. A, tr- a group of people that love each other, that serve each other. Now they're forming into a church. Now, now the now structure, then we can talk about institutional structure that mm-hmm. needs to form. But even if you look at the formation of the church in, in Acts, 
you, you know, it wasn't that they figured out all the, the, uh, the issue of feeding the the widows and all that stuff all ahead of time. They didn't have this massive strategy. They just were loving each other, building into each other. And then, hey, this problem solved. Well, we should have a little structure to solve that. And so you let the structure grow as the body and the needs of the body grow. We start adding these certain structures to them. And 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 that really helps us form a locally led indigenous church that can sustain itself without outside money, outside yeah. people. And that's another really important principle. What if you did the ministry God called you to do in wherever he sends you, your neighborhood, a particular city, another part of the world, but you did it in such a way that you knew your job was to raise them up so they don't need you anymore. Exactly. Which is simply what you're doing with your kids. You're trying to raise them up mm-hmm. to be able to be not just independent. You want them to be interdependent, but but also self-sufficient enough to not say, I need mom and dad to do everything for me forever. Sure. And unfortunately, a lot of the forms of the church that we still see in place today are perpetuating a constant codependency on the the key pastoral leader or leadership team. Exactly. That's exactly right. I, For my kids from little, they'll tell you this. I would say when they were little, I'd always say, guys, I do not want you living in my house when you're 40. I want to be living in your house when you're 40. <laughs> That's right. So my goal is to prepare for that transition. Okay. You're not living in my basement. I'm going to be living in your basement. And so this is how this is going. So we're preparing you so that at 40, I can move in. And, uh, but the idea is I don't want you, you know, I, I, I'm not the patriarch here in the sense that I remain as the, the, the chief here. I want to send you out. And, and, and we want to see that church locally led, locally run and able to sustain itself through whatever comes its way. Yeah. So good. Steve, I really appreciate you and the work you're doing. And uh, if I didn't say it already, um, Steve Steve is really helping us, uh, the Soma family of churches, um, in terms of how we keep thinking about not just our global work, but even how we think increasingly about our, our domestic work here in North America. And so thank you for all of that. Steve, if people wanted to take next steps to learn more about To Every Tribe or get in contact with you, what would be the best way to do mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So a way to get in touch with us, of course, is you can go on to our website, toeverytribe.org. There's a contact section on there. You can send a note to me or to anyone and find out. Secondly, just a little bit about what we do then organizationally is that we train you in how to do those, all those eight phases. We train you both in studying it, but also doing it. You will learn. We will put you on a church planting team. You will do the work. We will take you to different places in the world, show you how it's done. We want to give you people experience to be able to do that. And so if that's something that's an interest to anybody, if they're interested in saying, man, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do it globally, I'd like to do it locally, man, we just, our passion is we want to train church planners to make disciples and see those disciples form into healthy, locally led reproducing churches. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And we're we're hoping to get this, what you just shared in a resource Yes. to make it available for people. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know more as we're able to. And uh, as we come to a close, first of all, just thank you again, Steve. So glad you're here. Thanks for the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. It's been an honor. It's been a joy. You know, this easily could have been a four-hour podcast. I, I love talking to you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll have you on again. For all those who are listening, thanks for listening in. Uh, if you aren't aware, we have a lot of resources and like Steve's resource hopefully will be available 
uh, for all of our members coming soon. But if you are unaware, uh, you can go to saturatetheworld.com. There's a lot of stuff there that you can just look at just to check it out. But if you want access to everything we've created, all the videos, all the PDFs, all the training, uh, you can become a subscriber where you can get a Saturate membership. It's like a monthly uh, subscription similar to Netflix, but way better because it's all about Jesus. Uh, so if you want that, we'd love to invite you into checking that out. And um, second, if you'd like to partner with us and just praying for the work, I send out a text probably every couple of weeks to let people know what we're doing, how you can pray for us. Uh, and we'd love to invite you into that. Just go to saturatetheworld.com and you can actually uh uh, send an email. Uh, there's a place where you can click on if you want more info, information. Just send an email. Let us know you want to be included. And then lastly, all that we do is is done by support. So financial support is how we do every bit of work that we're doing. So if you would love to become one of our, our supporters, uh, that's another way to partner. Just uh, go to saturatetheworld.com and the, the little button that says give will help you get started. Steve, again, thank you for being with us. And listeners, I hope that you were blessed uh, by the things he shared. Uh, there is more coming, and I anticipate I'll probably have you on again. Great. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it, brother.